Welcome to Muslims Doing Things, a podcast about extraordinary Muslims and their career journeys. And today we have Angie Hassan, who I'm really excited to talk to because I've been following her forever. But Angie, why don't you tell the audience what you do? Hi guys, how are you? Thank you first for having me. This is an amazing opportunity. Um, I am a personal shopper, that's how I started. My company is called Angie Style, and I style celebrities, I style executives, I sell pretty much anything that needs to be styled, but um, right now I'm styling, uh, I'm fashion styling and personal shopping for the who's who of like everywhere, pretty much. So, so at some point in most people's lives, I know for me, there was like a period when that was just the coolest job on earth. And I was like, that would be my dream job. So I, you're, you kind of have one of those jobs, like marine biologists, where everybody thinks they're going to be that at some point in their life. And they're like, yes, a stylist, that's the dream. <laughs> Um, but I'm super excited to get into it. So where, what's the story of NG? Like, where were you born? Where were you raised? How did you end up in, in your space? Okay. So I actually was born in New Jersey, Deadville, New Jersey. And, um, I kind of started loving a fashion from a young age, just seeing different things. Like my mom was really into fashion and I went to my undergrad was at FIT it was a fashion school. And I went to like Saturday schools during high school to get into FIT. And then I started to gradually do internships. My first internship was my senior year of college at Vogue. And I think that kind of like really just made me appreciate uh, fashion styling because I didn't actually know what a stylist was. This was like prior knowing Rachel Zoe before the TV shows. So this was like back in like 2005. And it was like, you knew what styling was, but you didn't know what it was. And then when I did that internship, I started to like really appreciate it and understand like how you could use fashion as a driving force in many ways and just kind of like how it sets the trends. And I was just like, I really, I really admire this and I really love this. And then working with a lot of different photographers and fashion directors and just that's kind of like what set the ground for my styling experience first. And then um, I started to do other areas of fashion, like interning for stylists themselves. So uh, Heather Mary Jackson, she's a very well-known stylist. I interned for her. And then I interned at Teen Vogue magazine, uh, Numero magazine. I went back to school uh, to get my master's at NYU. And luckily enough, it was near, it was right near Condé Nast. So it was like, I had to do an internship to graduate and had to go with my thesis. And my thesis was on printed media. So I went back to Condé Nast and asked to like interview everybody to learn about like the, what's going to be going on. And this was like back and again, like, long time ago, 2007 and 2008. And um, I did it at Teen Vogue there. And then and, like, cause I already had so much under, like in my resume and expertise, they kind of were really cool. And they were just kind of like, they wanted me to control a certain area of the, the magazine. And I was really lucky to do pretty, like that was the year 2008, we kind of had a, a transition in fashion. The market was not doing well. And then we lost a lot of like, the way the function and everyday tasks would go on. So it was kind of like we lost out on how people just do the, the everyday jobs. So like you would hire people to pick up and returns. So we did, we had to figure a new system because the budgets got cut, like cut by half. So um, I came up with a system for that. And, um, and then I studied in Paris and I worked at French Vogue for a whole summer. And then I kind of decided that I wanted to go on my own. And then the economy crashed. This was all still 2008. And um, a lot of my advisors or mentors told me, you know, go on your own. Right now is not a time to work in editorial and then come back in a few years. And then 
I started my personal shopping business called NG Style in 2010. While I was working at Bergdorf Goodman, it's a, I worked on the, in the men's store and I opened the Tom Ford boutique for men's. And then I just like start to craft and understand everything with men's, which I thought was important because I already did like women, I did kids. And then I was like, let me learn the men's market too. And then there I like was able to get a lot of celebrity clients through working there. And then I also started to work with royalty. Um, the Plaza Hotel referred me to my first princess in like 2010 when I like literally just first started. So that was like, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so cool because, so there's a few things that I noticed in this story, kind of if we were to go way back. It seems like, first of all, growing up, your mom, you said was really interested in fashion. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And it seems like they were encouraging you. I mean, if you were going to Saturday school from jump for fashion and to get into FIT, you, you kind of knew, like you knew you wanted to spend your life in, in the fashion industry. Yeah. So my mom, um, she, we're more, I would say more conservative. So my mom was like always trying to find the proper suits to wear for work and like look a certain way and still carry the boss look. So she always went shopping. So, you know, it wasn't just about like buying clothes, it was about like making it look like a person who was of like statue, like, you know, like, hey, I'm here, I'm your boss, but I still look elegant. And I would, my dad was definitely all for me doing this. My mom was more like, is this a real career for like a Muslim girl to do? And, you know, they still, they like every chapter, every like step, they were, they were for it, but they were also very nervous just because of right. like knowing the industry and kind of being like, honestly, they'll be like, who's going to marry somebody in fashion? This is like not, you know, appropriate. This isn't how it works. Um, so it was a struggle and I had to actually live home. So like I always had to commute to the city, which I lived very far. So it was like, um, you know, a lot of my jobs were traveling. So my dad had to come with me and stuff. Um, one year to the Oscars, he actually like literally came with me. So they were <laughs> supportive, but within the structure of like still keeping our cultural and traditions at home. That, you so. know, it's so interesting. And, and, and the backdrop that you're talking like, okay, my daughter Camila may be able to reflect on me being like into fashion, but like, I don't think she'll see it as a struggle. She'll see me like having had a personal personal um aesthetic that like fits within a niche very early on you're talking about you guys being muslims and i think you said 2004 2005 2003 like we don't really have a collective style like modesty wasn't a thing if that was her aspiration and especially in like the workplace like you know you were like you looked hot in like a skirt suit or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know that it was necessarily more expanded than that. And so you were kind of looking at her challenges and maybe didn't even realize how, how much it would develop at the time, but like, did that play a role in terms of seeing the need for like, just what wasn't there? Yeah. She put on hijab in 2006. So for me, it was like, even seeing that transition, she always dressed conservative. Like she literally just had to put the hijab on from her, what she already was wearing. But it was kind of like, it was, um, it was kind of like for me seeing how hard it was to find things that like didn't, that still made you feel feminine and still made you feel right. strong and the right colors and the silhouettes that were like, you know, chic and appropriate. Um, I actually wanted to be a designer first. That's why I went to FIT. Um, mm. And I, I wanted to be a buyer and then like hopefully develop, which we'll get to. I did develop like a, a conservative line evening wear. Um, and then it was kind of like, just for me, it was like, I wanted to, to do that. I want to be like, help women dress great, like look confident, feel good, feel confident. And then just show that you could still look so beautiful and dress modest. You know, sometimes I don't like the word modest because people like in their minds always think it just can only be for a Muslim, but I feel like it's just across the board. Like, I feel like it's important when you're, you know, you 
dress the way you feel comfortable and confident in, but you also, you, you know, are dressed in a way that works with where you're going and feel like you're, if you want to like cover yourself, you're, you can, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to like yeah. show yourself. No, away. you're giving, you're giving option. You're giving breadth. Cause like there definitely was a time, at least in our lifetimes when like, you know, women succeeded in the workforce by like typically, and honestly, it's probably the case now in many places by like using their looks as a big part of it. Right. And it's yeah. like, okay, like that's fine. If that works for women, that's fine. But as women who doesn't make that choice, what are my options? And it's like kind of just creating that agency and that choice to pick a path in terms of how we want to present ourselves. Yeah. A hundred percent. So it was, I think that was my biggest push. And then just seeing, even when we were going to weddings or going to events, like, you know, our community, we, we did a lot of different things. We'd always be going to charity events and doing events or going to like getting together. And we love to dress up as a community. So it was always like finding something that was already done that where I didn't have to do sleeves or like then you always had to make sleeves or you find these beautiful dresses and you had Gosh, to like, I remember cover. that era sewing sleeves like, on things. There was literally an era just based around that. Literally. Oh and then buying two dresses to have extra fabric. It was just, it was a yeah. whole thing. Or if, if it had a shawl, you'd like cut the shawl or you'd find some like fabric from downtown and exactly. put satin sleeves on it. Oh my gosh, we were such a mess. We were like, at least I was a mess because I didn't have the technical skills to turn it into something beautiful. It was just a mess. But anyway, it probably looked beautiful when you did it. It probably did. I mean, it, like when I look back, I'm like, I used to be like, be like, oh, I feel so weird. Like some dresses I'd wear and I'd just like a shirt under it, but you would think it didn't look good. And then I look back, I'm like, that's actually really chic. Like, you know, yeah. it's the right, like the line set. So like, I think we were harder on ourselves than we think we are just like, you know, just. I mean, well, well, well a, culturally there wasn't a place, right? Like you're typically harder 100%. on yourself when like, when, if you think you look silly and like, I thought I looked silly. And it's funny because I actually distinctly remember I used to play soccer as a kid. I'd wear like leggings or pants under my shorts. And I like, I felt dumb. And now they're like all these professional and awesome boxers that have like really modified how to like yeah. use hijab and kind of in their sport and they like look cool. And I was like, man, yeah. like, it was just psychological. It's effectively the same thing. <laughs> they're literally we're a trailblazer. The same thing. We're a trailblazer. <laughs> you were a trailblazer. Yeah, I just like I felt dumb. Yeah, no, I mean, I did too. I, I used to get like more insecure. Like I didn't do field hockey because I didn't want to do wear the, the pant, like the pant, the leggings under the skirt. And then I did right. track, I had to wear it, but I love track. And then- there was a year that I was just kind of like, people always ask and I just, you know, I was just like, they didn't always want to have to go through the motion and I always had to. So it was just kind of like, unfortunately it was like, it was tough, but now I feel like there's so many more avenues for like oh, yeah. the next generations. Oh, yeah. Like they're so and, lucky. <laughs> and that's why I was really excited to talk to you. Cause I feel like you, um, as you've noted, the space of fashion is a place where I think we're starting to see, at least from my vantage point, we're starting to see more Muslims. Like there certainly are Muslim designers. There are tons of Muslim content creators, influencers, and models, but like the angle that you're coming from in terms of a tastemaker is different, right? Like, so, yeah. so to kind of go back to fashion school, you're in fashion school, you want to be a designer, um, you want to be a buyer. What was what was the first step that you took in fashion school as you started thinking towards those two options? Like, and fashion's especially interesting because there's literally no template. Like you, everybody I've met in fashion just has totally different ways of getting to where they got. So I, I was so lucky to have, like, my dad was like my biggest cheerleader and he was like everywhere he would meet somebody or he'd know somebody in fashion. He's like, my daughter wants to be a designer. Can you talk to her? Can you mentor her? So he actually, um, you know, within our, within his work, Matt, uh, one of the, uh, one of the employees mother worked for Victoria's Secret. She was a designer and she mentored, she used to work for Oscar de la Renta before that. And she, you know, she said, if you want to be a buyer or a designer, and she was literally telling me what the path is. It was even more than what the teachers would tell me. The teachers are always just wow. being like forcing you to kind of be like a fashion merchandising and management. And that's actually like one of my degrees. They're just like, you can't, like, there was like, you know, they really reveal like being a designer, really? Like you want to do that? Like why? And I was like, 
because I, I want to, like, you know, it's like, huh. and I knew there was a market for what I wanted to do, you know? Um, I, I kind of knew also just from reading a lot and from reading the histories of designers, like there's always the stepping stone. So like you work for a designer first, you learn a lot under that designer. Hopefully you either branch under them and build a capsule collection under it. And then either you go on your own or you might be that amazing that they keep it like that. And, you know, during those years, we saw like how Tom Ford was working for Gucci and he was one of the first designers that it was like Gucci by Tom Ford. So I was always like, that's going to be me, like Ralph Lauren by NGO. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to make the conservative collection. It's going to be. So there was some of that, but it was like a lot of research, a lot of mentorship. And um, yeah, and then I like got my resume, my portfolio ready. And uh, and like I was actually how I ran into the people from Vogue was I was at the center working, printing the portfolio. And I ran into um, one of the editors. And she was very, I just came back from Egypt. So like I had all these cool new jewelry pieces and she was like, um, oh my God, I love your jewelry. What are you, you know, what are you doing? I was like, I'm a student at FIT and I'm getting my resume ready for my internship. And then she was like, oh, where do you want to intern? So I was like, Ralph Lauren. She's like, oh, why don't you intern at Vogue? And I was like, oh no, thank you. And then she's like, you don't want to intern at Vogue? And I was like, oh no, that's not the path. Like I want to be a buyer. So I know like being a buyer, I have to go to work for Ralph Lauren. And then she's like, looking at me like, you know, like cross, I'm like, this girl, like now I look back, I'm like, who was I to say this no to Vogue? But like, I just knew that wasn't, in my mind, it was like, why would I do editorial if that has nothing to do with what I want? And then she was like, no, this will open doors to everything. And if you want to be in fashion, you need to learn every section of fashion. And then I was like, okay, I'll be there. And she's like, you seem like you, you didn't have a niche in accessories or have a great eye in accessories. And then I got the interview. And, um, and I knew about sign a little bit because I read it, the woman that I was like friends with during school, her whole journey going to FIT was just to be a stylist. She was wanted to be a fashion stylist. She brought up Rachel Zoe. I had no, no idea really who that was. You knew what styling was, but wasn't on that level. And then we like literally swapped wives. Like I became like the wannabe Rachel Zoe stylist. And now she's the buyer for Marc Jacobs at Saks Fifth Avenue for like the last 10 years. So it was like, that's like, you know, it's like Nassib. It's just, it's fate, you know? Um, yeah, so then uh, Vogue really opened up my eyes to see like how you could still kind of have all those, you could still make a big impression in fashion and be a tastemaker and hopefully encourage and push designers um, to open up to other markets. And that was like kind of like where I started my goal was, you know, like I was starting to see like, you know, the silhouettes changing. Um, I came, I went to Dubai um, in 2003 five and six and then when I came back I told them about the country a lot and they didn't know about it yet it wasn't like what it is today and yeah. um yeah and I was like that that's a market I kept on like pushing it all the time I think like I mean it to me doesn't I can't believe how long it took for everyone to like kind of wake up to be honest to see this this market that is one of the you know gross wise one of the top markets but also just like how it blossoms in like it just for me it was like really funny how they didn't even care to like look into it as much you know what I mean and I brought yeah, it up I mean, the, the lens later. was very western back then like things have shifted a lot but the lens was very western like people didn't consider even the Muslim market like Muslim females like the eastern market as 100%. something to take serious right and take seriously I mean like want to like even do more research so like when in Paris I did a whole thing um one of my certificates was ethnographic research and the whole point was the study of market in fact like I picked fashion but the study of market and really learn about that so it was like westernized versus the French market. But it was like, you know, when I was getting my master's and I was back at Vogue, well, Teen Vogue, but I went to Vogue and told them, you guys should like study the market of the Middle East, the Gulf. And it was just kind of like whew, over the head. 
And so it's wild. So you're, you're at Vogue and you're doing, when you say editorial stuff, do you mean like you're literally picking out pieces of clothing for people to wear in photos? What were you doing at Vogue? Or was it everything, was coffee in, to pick up clothes to everything? I was doing everything, but I was an intern. So we, I first started in the accessories closet. So like my daily tasks were like organizing the closet, the tea. Um, yes, getting coffee for people. It was like getting everything ready for um, for all the editors to come and see. So if they had a photo shoot, for example, like you would line it all up within like order of what the shot list would be. When models would come, you would help fit them. You would stand there. Um, as I like stayed longer, cause I say extended my internship even after I graduated, then I got to sit sometimes in meetings. I was Anna Winter's assistant for a couple of weeks. Um, and it was just kind of like pretty much interning, doing everything like dropping off jewelry, um, being like, you know, an usher for them at Gala, just like any single thing that they need someone to do. I was always like, you know, I was doing weekends because I was just like, I'll do anything it takes to like learn more, learn more. But you're on set, um, you do returns all day, um, literally picking up gifts for editors, like literally everything you think from Devil Wars Prada times two, like we did everything. So that, that's amazing. And, and while you're doing that, is that when you applied for your master's and why did you, or like while you're doing the internship, what was the next step that you took? And did you at that point realize you wanted to start styling? When I finished my internship, I loved it. And my mom got really sick. Um, her mom passed, she got really sick. And then I had to like take care of my mother. So I kind of like mm -hmm. took a time off. Right. I was offered a job at Vogue, thank you. And then I just kind of like, you know, when you see all this stuff happen, you kind of like have some kind of like moment being like, is this the route I wanna do? What is this really gonna do in life? And then my mind was just kind of like, is fashion it? And like, is this gonna really do anything to benefit my life in the long run? Like, am I changing, making an impact? And like, it's an, you know, an ongoing battle all the time. Just, you know, it's actually funny because that's kind of like one of my thoughts right now. Like, what can I do in my career that's gonna make a difference in this world? So I think that like, in my mind, I was like, well, maybe I should like, you know, get my master's and maybe I could like do something else. So I was having this like personal experience because I was just seeing like the fast lane and the, the beauty and all that stuff in fashion. I didn't get to see how it could really make an impact yet at that time in my life. I just saw it all being about like, you know, labels and luxury and, you know, um, parties and events and like, you know, excess, 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 and not seeing like, hey, how does that really do anything to like, you know, help people in this world? So um, I was like, let me go get my master's. So I was supposed to get an MBA and then I decided to go switch out and get a graphic communications management and technology and just learn about media. And this is like before like, you know, social media it was only the Twitter and Facebook was out. And then just through my master's, I'm speaking to teachers, just seeing like different ways, you know, media does have an impact and what it can do just with like, even one of the projects of just kind of like health, you know, like health products and how fashion is a part of it and combining anything to just get people to be aware of things. And it is a driving force, like other things like music and food, it's culture, fashion's like, it's part of a culture. So, and then it, to me, it was like, I was like, that's so weird that the building is right there. So then I went back into fashion again, like, you know, going back into another internship and just saying like, okay, I think this is like something I really want to pursue more. And then when I went to Paris, to be honest, that's where I thought it was like my destiny. It sounds like really kind of cheesy, but I was like, I think I like interned at Paris Vogue, but then I just saw like working with like these designers and it was, it was different there. Cause I was an American girl literally in Paris. They treated me like with the uttermost respect. And it was kind of like, they wanted me to see everything and be a part of everything. Cause they wanted me to like go back and just, I guess like I don't know, I just got like really lucky because like when you think about it, it's just kind of like they didn't like they make me struggle. They were like, here, enjoy this, see this, do this. It was like in France, it was more like it was like how we would in America have the Met Gala for that one week or two of prepping and having that in the aftermath. That was like every day at the office. 
and for me, it was just kind of like, I was like, be able to make people look that incredible, put like, and have this concept of who wears what, help the brands and the designers. That's where I started to learn like how designers get known more. We knew that that's, you know, put them on a model, the model's famous, it gets known, but like the map, like kind of the science behind it, like, you know, they're going to wear this to this event and then this is going to help with the campaign comes out this day, just kind of understanding it's like all a process of like, and I loved it. I just was intrigued. And then I, you know, got to meet Carl Lagerfeld and have like a week of apprenticeship with him. And he told me like, you know, that I had such a great eye for accessories. And I think it was for me kind of being like someone who was an icon to me, looked up to that, like, you know, really saw that I had something and believed in. And I told him, I was just kind of like, I want to make a difference in this industry, but for, for Muslim women. And I think it was kind of like, you know, when you talk to people and they hear it, I felt and like they, you know, I was more, I would say like I was more leaning towards even me wanting to wear hijab at that time when my mom did. And it was like, you know, communicating that to people who you would think like would look at you and not um, like, I don't want to say respect it, but they, I thought that it would be like, kind of like my test being like, are they going to be supportive or not? They literally gave me a box of hijabs, like any designer, like, and they're so supportive. Yeah. And I think that was like, for me, such a a moving point and like such an important factor because I was like, okay, then all the stuff that everyone always says that fashion is going to like take me to the dark side or fashion is going to take me away from my culture and religion. Yeah. It it was like, for me, that was so important. And I remember I came home, I showed my mom because my mom was still like, this is, what is this going to do for you? Like you're a Muslim. I would come home and be like, they gave me a box of hijabs, mom, but they're Chanel. Do you understand? They love me. I was like, <laughs> I was like, mom, they're so supportive. And then like, but, but it, you know, when you're young and you're like, you know, it's just, it's so different. Cause it's like, there wasn't a lot of people that were Muslim in my career, like in the space that I was, I never like really ran into other Muslims trying to be a part of this. So for me, it was like anything that like would grasp of like being like, okay, this is still like acceptable. And, you know, they knew, like, I don't, I didn't drink, I don't drink. They knew, like, going to these events, like, you know, she doesn't touch champagne. Little things that changed were, like, Fridays, they would always have pizza and champagne. And they started to change that for me. Like, it, I know it sounds like, for some people, it's like, that's not that big of a deal. For me, it was such a big it's, deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, I, I definitely, you, you, it, you know, it feels good to be hurt in that way. I've had people accommodate yeah. me in that way, too. And you're just like, whoa, cool. Yeah, they did like, you know, they, they like made it a joke and be like, Virgin Mojitos on Fridays now because like NG, like, you know, NG's here. And it, and it was like, it was kind of like also like in a loving way. It wasn't just like, you know, making it like a point where they're trying to make fun of you. So I think I started to have like, you know, it was hard for me to even sometimes within like friends to be able to be who I was. So I felt like I had that space of being who I was within my career. Like I felt like they respected me. I don't, and I was like, okay, so I get to be who I am. This is who I am. And it's either take me or, or don't. And I don't like really care. And I think, I think a lot because of like coming and being Egyptian and being Muslim, like some of them wanted to hear more and see more. And like, they were intrigued because they, they used it. Um, they started to use it in their editorial. Like I came back from Egypt in 2008 and I brought all these amazing tribal necklaces and they used it in one of the shoots. And that same year, Anna Sui like had that whole same collection. And I remember like what I was wearing was just so much more along the lines of the shoot that the editor is like, can I please take your necklace and use it? And I was just like, yeah, I was like, this is from Egypt. Just make sure it's known that like, this is from, you know, like literally from, not from a designer, like, you know, handmade. And I think those things kept me going within this career. So it was great. And you know, like the time frame that you're talking about is it, this story resonates so much with me because that like 2005 to honestly, like 
present day time frame, the way that things have changed. I actually remember, I think it was like the mid 2010s or maybe the early 2010s when um, like, I think it was Dolce & Gabbana and other high fashion brands started making a bias. People started realizing like, oh yep. shoot, the Middle East, like these women have tons of money. And that was the first like recognition that I noticed publicly of like hijab. Yeah. In, uh, and it's funny because not everybody receives it in a positive way, right? They're like, oh, you're like milking our community for cash. I personally receive it in a positive way. Cause I'm like, no, like Same here. we have to, you know, we, we, need, we need representation everywhere. Um, and also like if it were, if you were having that conversation with, you know, Carl Lagerfeld now, the the stage would be so different. You know, you see like, who's that, that she's that adorable hijabi, um, Maria, Maria Alia, Maria Alia. I don't know how she says her name, yeah. Maria Alia or Alia. Um, adorable, right? But she like does all these cool high fashion shoots and stuff. And so there, there's more context that wasn't there then that literally like people like you, people like Maria have filled in since then. So I think when you were searching for purpose, you didn't realize that you were on the front of a wave that was going to kind of, you know, take up space and consume a part of the industry and kind of create a ground for women like us. Yeah, hundred percent. And at the same time too, like I saw in 2010 when I started to work with royalty and that was starting to like, you know, I went to stores, they would be buying like, you know, a lump sum. Like to the designers are more important than celebrities because they're actually buying. So it gave me this like power. Like if you called your, any of these high-end designers and be like, I'm coming to shop this, you know, it was a certain months of the year, they, 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 you know, they knew that the Royals were in, they knew Saudi Arabia was here. They knew Morocco was here. They knew whoever was here and they opened the doors and then they started to really see how they were dressing. And I think little by little that also, you know, they started to see like the numbers. And I think, you know, when the market was crashing, like that's what they cared about even more. So they knew that there was something that they needed to figure out even more about that. Yeah. You know, some, like, something like takes to more energy towards that. Yeah. You know, that makes and, sense because um, the American market was crashing, but there's probably, yeah, interesting. The American market was crashing in 08, 09, and then it was just like, and then fashion had this like, you know, that same time the influencers started to come out in 2012, 13. Right. In 13, I started to see the shift. I think also influencers definitely helped and social media sh showing like how, you know, Muslims live. Like they live yeah. this, this lifestyle that you want to be actually more a part of than your own lifestyle because they saw- right the gloss they saw it like an editorial spread every single day like I remember people be mm -hmm. like I just don't understand like this is like what we dream of this is like in movies like this is what they live like and and that's the thing like some people be like oh some, you know you everything can look positive or negative and can be but I felt like it really did benefit you know people like us you know you'll notice mo most of my guests are women and it's not because I hate men I, I love men men are fine they're great but like yeah. um <laughs> women have disproportionately shaped the narrative and undone the bad narrative that was kind of set before us. Like me and you were born to a very particular story that me and you were part of a cohort of women that crushed. Right. And yeah. like, sometimes you find men who have just like done a really good job helping like add to that story, but there's been like a disproportionate amount of work for these individuals like me, like you, who like, didn't, you know, get together in a line and say like, okay, hey, we're just going to have to rewrite this. Cause it's a mess, but we all kind of just like did our own things in our own we way. And like, yeah. it's, that's literally the story arc of like most of my podcast, which is like really cool. But anyway, so economy crashes, you're at Vogue. You're like, this is a great time to become my own boss. And by this point, are you sure you want to be a stylist or do you want to be your own boss to do something else? I want, so 2010, I kind of did, I kind of still was working at Bergdorf. I stayed there for three years because I needed to build my career. So as I a buyer, that. you said? No, I was a Tom, I worked at Tom Ford just as like a stylist, like a person, when you come here, like sales associate, pretty much. 
So, but and is I, that your first like focus job? Because before that you were doing like intern stuff and editorials and yeah. yada, yada, yada. Is this your first, like, okay, I'm picking a pillar. Yeah. I had to take a okay. full-time job. My mom was pretty much like, you want to take this route? Good luck. Here you go. So I had to take a real, I had to get a real job, build that portfolio and styling. Um, and, and like I was trying to do, a, I did a collection. So I needed, I need money. I need like lots of money to like actually be able to do it. Plus I knew like if I worked at Bergdorf, maybe they'll sell my collection and maybe, and you know, that's the truth. Like you have to be within the game and stay focused. And like, you know, you're already going to go to these, all these meetings in the city and meet people. So I'm like, let me work somewhere. So I picked the top, you know, boutique I thought in New York city. And then I wanted the niche market of men. And there I got to work with like a lot of different celebrities, Miranda Kerr, like Kanye West. Um, and they stayed to be Lady Gaga. And I personally shopped for them, like, within the store and then get without the, like getting out of the store. Plus starting as a personal shopper, you had to have like, you know, good credit, but you had to have a certain open, you know, to like these stores to be able to take out that much clothing. Cause you're going to the these, these people's homes and hotels. You're not like, oh. you know, you're going, you're buying like 200, $300,000 of clothing. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. So you, Hold on. Go ahead. I think I don't yeah. understand the job. Tell me what the job sure. is like, like, like explain it to me a day sure. in the life of you wake up in the morning and Lady Gaga calls. Like, how does this work? So with that situation, with them, it's like they came to um, the store and I was there in my area. I was like, do you need help with let's We'll just do Kanye because that one makes it's very easy to talk about. It was a very long run. So, so everyone else was trying to like just sell him whatever. I was also the only girl pretty much working there you know, besides like two other women who are in their fifties. So I think, you know, and how do they choose you? Does he choose you? Or are you like, he came up, he came up. No, I didn't. I just (laughs) stayed. I was, so Tom Ford's very, it just came out. It was a very niche market. A lot of, you know, executives, I was just trying to really only sell Tom Ford, but you know, he's going to be buying every single thing. But, um, I think when I saw them doing that and I was like, that, you know, I just like, he asked me, what do you think of like some jacket he wanted to buy? And this was on a different floor and I was just up there and I was like, that doesn't work for you. And then I was like, what are you trying to look like? What are you trying to be? And this was just right after his Taylor Swift fiasco. Um, and then, he, you know, he communicated some things and he was saying that, like, I want to be known as an icon. I want to be long good. I always get made fun of, you know, in Us Weekly. You know, I want to be like how P. Diddy is. And, you know, I gave him my personal advice. And I was like, look, they make fun of Gwen Stefani in Us Weekly. Like, she's an icon. It doesn't really matter. You need to just stick to your own lane and, like, show it in a creative way. Like, all you need is to be who you are. And it's going to and brand yourself. And then, you know, as long as you're Anna Winters, like around you, that's all that matters. Like her opinion and the Vogue's and the W's. And then it was like, we started to shop and get things and it, you know, it went, it was really actually a great experience. And so pretty much when it comes to like these people, these celebrities that were there, sometimes they're coming there. So then you go throughout the whole store and get the room ready. But then it started to become like they wanted, there wasn't enough in the store. And then I started to be working outside with them. So I would take those stuff from the store and you would take it out like as a memo. And then I would go and shop at all other stores with my team. And then we would go somewhere like pick a hotel room or there's place or a studio. And then we would have racks and racks and racks of clothes and, and tables and tables of shoes. And then we would start putting some ideas and looks together. Um, and then they would shop through it. Or sometimes like I literally put the looks together and take pictures and then they would like approve it and we would just pack it they take it and the rest would get returned and so there's an understanding you walk into Bergdorf's you walk into Dior you're like I'm gonna take you're mentioning two two three hundred thousand dollars worth of clothes and like I'm probably going to return 150,000 of this maybe all 300,000 but like yeah. I'm a stylist and and you how do you have that trust is it a contract like you just so, put it on your card and return it so pretty much we try to do memos so it's like 
held on the card, but not like transactioned out. So, so I have to go to all these stores pre as part of my business plan. I went and introduced myself, um, you know, and also I was like very young in the game. So like in their mind, it's like, who do you have to prove who you are? Like, you know, but when the princess came, it was like, you know, she's very well known. Her husband, her husband actually was my first client, Prince Willie Talal. And, you know, they know who he is in New York City. So did you, um, is it, am I allowed to ask if it's Amira? Yeah, oh, what's her name? Oh, that, was, that was, she's very yeah. well-dressed. I actually saw her at an event in like Thank 2012 you. and she was very well-dressed. I wonder if you styled her. At Harvard. Harvard, right? <laughs> no, I, I did see her at Harvard, but I also saw her at the Clinton Global Initiative. That was me. And she was wearing no. Armani in blue. Yeah. Oh so my I God. dressed her so from like 2015. And then, um, wild. yeah, and then they got the board anyway, and then they set up the whole new team. So but we're still in good, like we still talk and text and everything. She's a great person. Yeah. So she was my first princess, but I had him right before her. And, um, so the, you know, the stories have to build a trust, but yeah, it's pretty much like, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like two crazy points because the, the stores are trusting you, but then like you sometimes are like leaving it in the hotel, like, God yeah. Forbid. So like, like what if it disappears? Like you're, you're yeah. you have 300,000 like, bucks you're on the hook for. And we'll get to that. And what happened so um so I, you know i had you're supposed to like kind of wrap it out and take it with you or have like another room some people you know there's no time and and how you tell a princess no i'm not keeping here i don't trust you like you know there's a lot of conversation or like <laughs> to a celebrity no we're taking i can't and there's ways of saying it not you know that bluntly but yeah so pretty much the stores so some stores would come with the stuff and bring one person with them so like when it came to diamonds i personally asked them like hey can you come with your like harry winston or cartier or when P, they okay. would bring their and they stuff. send a person. I, I would ask them to bring a person. We had scheduled times where everything would be laid out. Um, I would try to keep it very organized. We're like, you know, we would do like say, so let's so royalty, like they do by bulk. So you're shopping for them months in advance. So you're doing like six months because they come every like six months. So yeah, so you're doing like you have like a two studio rooms in a hotel, like filled of racks, like maybe 25 racks filled of clothes for one person. Uh are you able to answer the question, like not for them in specific, but for that genre person, like what's the budget is budget irrelevant or are they like, you have X, no, X there's, spend? there's always a budget. And that's the thing. Like, you know, I work with their accountant or a manager ahead of time. Um, of course, everybody has a budget. Um, the budgets, even if you think the budgets are like, that's crazy. How do you go over a budget like that? But when you think about it, like they have gifts, like I remember the, you know, the princess was going to to uh president carter's event and giving him a house gift there's still a budget like you can't just like spend whatever and right and, and, and you, you are accountable to... for the house gift they're like hey ng figure out his house gift like that that's within yeah. your services yeah so they're and like you're pretty much you are like my taste like you are my taste for how i present myself to people visually for how i like yeah i can even more it was like real it became real estate and i'm like what i don't even know about real estate oh, i'm not a princess but i'm glad we're having this conversation anyways go ahead yeah i was like real estate in new york so i'll be like google like what's the most expensive real estate in new york that everybody wants no. but, um, okay so so you're going yeah, back to talking so, about you have a budget you have six months you're planning for you're bringing people in tons of diamonds um and then yeah, what? So, so or some designers too like uh, roberto cavalli used to always bring and bring like two associates to help like to help me and assist and we would do like different design, but like, you just have to keep things very organized. I knew what the budget was. So I would, after like everything was approved, I would have to edit out from what was approved, meaning what they would say that they liked. And then even if they're like, well, where'd that one shoe go? And you'd be like, I'm not gonna remember one shoe out of a hundred, they will. And I'll be like, you know, it's not, it's, I can't say like you went over budget. I'll just be like, I just feel like these are the ones huh. we need right now. 
and it's happened before. I remember like we were like, you know, I have to keep those numbers. It's like a whole thing. And I remember like we were shopping and then we were going to like, well, you know, and I stopped going to the stores. I used to go to the stores. But what happens is like Chanel will show like the most expensive bags only. Like right. I'll give them a heads up. I'm like, hey, I'm bringing a client and their VIP. Um, and they, they kind of know how that works. And then, you know, they, and I told them like what I was looking for from the lookbook. And then they only were showing the other ones. And, you know, I walked in and I was like, okay, we're leaving here. And then she's like, oh, we're leaving. I'm like, we're leaving. And then I called the manager, store owner. And I was like, you could bring these looks that I asked you for only to the hotel. And we will never come to your store again. Because wow. I was like, I made a very, you're just showing her like random $100,000 bags that I asked you not to. And she was at that point too, not wearing animal skin or like crocodile or anything anymore. So like, we didn't respect, you know, my client. She's just, and I, I and, and then you end up wasting like, time. And I'd imagine time, like outside of money, time, time is, with these people is the most valuable thing you can also take from them. For them, they get annoyed. But also I felt like it was kind of like disrespectful to my client. Right. Like, what do you right, think? Right, she's right, just right. the price tag, you know? This geez. requires so much executive function. My mind is like blown by all the different pieces. People are like, oh, a stylist, how fun, you know, how cool you make people look pretty. You're like, no, yeah. honey, like I'm looking at like literally budgets and, and seasons and veganism yeah. and like modesty, everything and size. like you probably are accountable for getting it tailored. Once everything is said and done too. Roberto Cavalli comes and you're like, okay, make it fit her body. Yeah. We have to get always a tailor. We had a tailor within my company and she's like, still comes for big projects. Like just, you have to have that team that just sticks. Cause All, it's always emergency. She, yeah. I remember one time she, uh, like she called me and she's like, I'm, I'm landing. She was supposed to come a week later. I'm landing. I have to go to an event and I need a dress. And it's like, you think it's like, Angie, come on, it's unlimited, but you have to like make sure, you know, a celebrity didn't just wear it. You have to make sure mm -hmm. it's the right, the right color tones for a princess. You have to make sure like it'll, you know, cut right. Um, you know, I always try to push Arab designers just because I was Arab. So I was like trying to always mm -hmm. get those in. And then just kind of also like building relationships with designers who would go out of their way to like, you know, fit her, take care of her because she sometimes, right. or he, or he would be like, why isn't the designer here if I'm paying this much for, you know, for a dress or a suit. So, um, but yeah, and usually it always works out. I've been very like, it's always kind of those like moments where you're like, it's like, where you feel like you're literally your heart is out of your body. You're like, is this going to work out? Is this going to happen? Like, yeah, everything's always last like, minute. It's like, right. always last minute. And, and then you're probably like, like then you're like, wait to hear about it in the tabloids, right? So the next day it's like, oh, you know, best dressed or worst dressed. And you're like, oh, like you don't want to be on that worst yeah. dress list. <laughs> no, never. I never want to. And sometimes it can make someone's career. Like I did um, a gentleman for the Tony Awards and he was nominated and he didn't uh, win that year for best actor, but he looked so divine that like he literally was in every single uh, next day press for one of the best dressed. And I remember he called me saying like, you know, it just made him feel so great because he still was part of the post of the award show. And it was like, and they, it, people don't understand the value of that, but it's such a great value because then they still have continuous like media and press for themselves. So, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's your point you made earlier, like it's culture, right? Like fashion is culture. And, and when you're contributing through fashion to culture, like people recognize it, it's a, it's a notable thing. Um, and so when you are, when you're working with a client, how does that work? Are you like on retainer or could it be that in anything else? Like, how do you actually manage your schedule? How many clients at a time does one handle and how do you do your job tactically? Love this question. So, um, so pretty much God bless us grown so much. So I have a schedule. Um, I've, I have a team. I've been lucky enough to try to make sure the schedule, like, like right now it's like code, I call it blackout. There is not even a moment I could breathe 
until Wednesday for the last two weeks because everybody has something. And um, I just like, we try to, what I try to do is like, I always ask my clients and they usually tell me ahead of time what they have as their, like right now, I already know what people's things are going on in March sometimes, you know? So we, I already start to prep it earlier, have the fittings as earlier. So no one is overlapped. That's one big thing. And then it's just kind of like, um, just making sure the schedule just stays really to the point. And like, the good thing is most of my clients, cause they're executives or, um, well, some of them are musicians and some of them are activists. They, I've been very lucky where like, they sometimes want me with them, but it's not like it's forced. Like once you start saying like, when somebody wants you with them on the red carpets all the time, like I, you know, sometimes they want me there, but it's not forced. That's where like, it starts to cause a little bit of a problem because it's kind of like, you know, you, like the other day I was in DC and then tomorrow's going to be in California. It just gets to be a little overwhelming. Yeah, there's only, there's myself. only one of you. Yeah. There's only one of yeah. you and you're like, and it, even it, if it's, you, it's yeah. different. And even if you have like a lead, like your first, which is like your right hand stylist, um, they still want you there. You know, like they yeah. still want. Yeah, like, yeah, they want you. You're the one with the eye. Yeah. You're the one. So, okay. Yeah. What does a team look like? You mentioned a tailor. You mentioned a first. You mentioned you. Um, so well, what does the yeah. actual team look like? So, so a team for me. So when I have big jobs, it's me. And then I have my tailor, Amanda, who was one of my first interns and worked with me for seven years. And then she went on her own, but she comes and make projects. And then I have another assistant who works with me on big projects, also Daphne. And then I'll have somebody who is like a runner, which means that they pick up and return. And then, um, yeah, that's pretty much the team. If it's like, a, you mm. know, or just hey, that, one other person. That's, that's really, it's so, it's so fascinating to hear about this. Cause like, it's effectively, so your taste is the most important thing, right? She's like the main character, but then there's so much project management required behind the yeah. scenes to kind of accomplish this. Have you ever had it where you have picked things and people have worn them, not in the way that you designed and they've just gotten destroyed? Like how, what, how do things go wrong for you? So Sometimes like, so I've learned, I used to get really, per, to get really personal and I'll be like, no, you can't wear it with stockings. It just doesn't work that way. Or no, that shirt has to be completely closed. I you can't show cleavage. Like it's, it's not even about like, because I don't want them to show cleavage, but it's because like, it, that's just not where you're vibe. going. It's the vibe. Yeah. yeah. Like you're, you're going to like an executive. Yeah. Like this isn't, you know, and then you also feel like, you know, my name's on this. So it's going to make me look like I dressed you that way, which, you know, happens. Um, and I remember one time I was dressing somebody and she's more on the conservative level. And I remember like my inbox got like flooded because they were like, I can't believe you dressed her like that. And that's so inappropriate. And she's, you know, wear hijab and how could you? And I was like, in my mind, I was like, and you can't even say anything. You'd be like, that's not me. I didn't do it. Like, you know, it was like the designer who customized it, like, and, you know, was already approved by them. And I was trying to maneuver, but like, you know, designer sometimes, or whoever's the, the boss, the managers can overwrite you. So it is what it is. Um, I've had sometimes where I think the only thing ever I can remember, but it worked for that, that kind of like was scary was one time. So like if they're wearing two looks in one day, but you have it like in a garment bag, it's written first look where they're wearing, like, you know, and then the other one's like second look while you're performing. And then for some reason, they'll wear the wrong one person, like, Oof. you know, and I, and I remember this was like the craziest thing because I get a call and I'm telling you, this was like, it was at, for a Vogue event with one of my clients. And he was like, I'm wearing the wrong suit. I'm like, what? He was like, I'm wearing the wrong outfit. And I'm like, okay, where is the second look? So he's like, oh, I, I left it, you know, and which is all good. I literally, 
was probably in reality, it would never happen. Like they're downtown. I'm already downtown, but to go all the way uptown to come back, it was never going to happen, you know, in my mind, like ever. So I went and I was like, okay, I'll figure this out. And I went and got it. And then I called ahead of time where the event was. I was like, I need like a green room or a space for him to change. Um, I made a mistake and I'm changing the style of the, for the day. And then the, you know, they're like, no, we don't have space like that. Or you can go in a dishwasher room. And I'm like that, you know, in my mind, I'm like, he's going to sweat. So then I call like the next door place that like the rest of the place was being held the venue and asked them if they could do it for me. And, you know, they set it up while I came down, got him, it changed. And it was kind of amazing because um, I actually got to go to the event then. And then I, you know, got to communicate with Mana Winter a lot. And um, she was like, she really appreciated the way he was been dressed because she loves how when men's fashion's really like um, colorful and, you know, just has personality. And she wanted, she was like, oh, so you're, you know, Joshua stylist. And it was like, kind of like for me, the approval, like she was like, he's been looking really great. Yeah. Like, you know, you felt really good. And I'm like, you were her intern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I didn't even know what to say. I'm gonna be like, yeah, well, you, you know, you taught me, but I was like sitting there. And then I remember it was amazing to me because I was, I try not to like, you know, force myself to go to these inside events. Like, you know, if I'm at the red carpet part, I know, like I stay there, let them do their thing. And my clients are so amazing. They always want me to come and like, you know, uh, interact with people and meet people. And, um, and so I'm just staying at the bar and she was like, oh, why don't you come sit with us? And then I'm like, you know, like, um, oh no, it's okay. I can stay here. She's like, don't be silly. You can't stay at a bar. And she's like, you look like you're like, you're like, you were ready for this event, quote unquote. And I was just like, I was like, so happy. The validation. Me. <laughs> wanted me. She wanted me to stay there. So the guest like, of Anna's. Oh my God. And then like, she got me to sit at a great table. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. Like, you know, and at that event, it was for, um, it was great because it was for mental health. And this was like years ago, 2000, I want to say 18. And I remember I was so happy because I just saw how the community, like, you know, but like, cause you're so in go, go, go. You don't really get to see or really hear the detail of like how they really help and how much it's, you know, how much money they're really raising, how much it's going, what's going on and how, and, you know, I thought that was really that moment. I just saw like how many people cared about mental health and what they were doing to each different designer that was there and different editor and you know, those bigger conversations that like aren't shared in the pictures and in the media, but like within amongst the, within, amongst the colleagues, you know? So it was just, it was great to see that like, there are more things than just look, you know, and I, I kind of already know that because I know like the Matt galleries is funds for the Metropolitan Museum, but it was just good to actually be in the room where you're hearing the words and seeing that. I know what you, you mean. Know? Cause you're just like, I'm, I'm the same way. It's just go, 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 go. And you don't take it. You don't stop to smell the roses. It's funny. I had a very long conversation with my co-founder. We were just kind of hanging out. I think yesterday I was in Boston. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to have fun in real time. Like I, I look at the yeah. past nostalgically and I look at the future, hopefully, but in real time, I'm just like, no time, you know, just like yeah. focus, focus and keep going. Like, I don't know how to just like, Hey, I'm going to sit here and do nothing. Do nothing. And so, yeah, so we had like a little fun therapy session. He's like, yeah, I noticed that about you actually. Like whenever you're like, he, rec he rec recalled the time that we went to the movies. Like the only time I went to the movies, me, him and his wife and I apparently passed out. I just went to bed. He's like, that was supposed to be fun. I was like, that's so, I was like, yeah, that's, that's right. I, I, well, you, I don't know how to have fun. And you're also a mom now. Well, you're a mom. I don't know how girl, old your kids are, but like girl, you're a mom. So like- Four, two and eight months. It's like freaking, it's mashallah above God all. Bless but you. after mashallah, it's a loon, let's just- wild <laughs> like I always say alhamdulillah mashallah I'm so blessed you know but I'm always just like I don't know how these women do it like I am sitting there and I'm just kind of like I, and I try to say this to my husband I was like I'm I'm a scheduled person I if any within 15 minutes everything is like scheduled 
And that's how the day goes really well, like schedule. Okay, 8, 8.45 to this time yeah. I'm doing this. Like I wake six o'clock. This is my time with my daughter from six to seven. Like, and every quarter it changes, like even month, unfortunately changes depending on my work. But then I get everything in. Like, like when people call me, they're just kind of like, hey, do you want to hang out today? I'm like, yeah, that doesn't nope. work like that. I can't. Like, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. I don't know how. Or they come over, come over here. But yeah, um, but, then but you know what? Like up. 20 Wednesdays and 20 Wednesdays, I can tell you what I'm doing at 5 p.m. Like that works for me right now. Back to your point about kids. Like, so we have, I have three kids. I have a job. It's very demanding. Um, and I like, I just like control. Right. And so it, we, at our yeah. offsite, we have our like quarterly retreats. We had our quarterly retreat in Boston yesterday. And, and we start the retreat off by asking like, what's the best thing that's happened personally in the last 90 days. And I was thinking about it and I started boxing recently, like started working out again, but I've been back to back. Oh, I gotta love it. I've been back to back pregnant or pregnant adjacent or nursing for like five years. So any workout schedule is constantly disrupted. Right. And I was like, pretty much like, this is the second to last thing before I can reclaim the old me before I was having babies. Like I've, I've claimed everything else working out on a regular cadence was the second to last thing. The last thing is like full control of my schedule. Like there's still like unpredictabilities now, you know, people waking up and things happening. My kids just got over COVID. We were just like in a black hole for 10 days. All hell broke loose. But like, um, I I know exactly what you mean. Cause those are kind of the, the moments that disrupt the flow. And, and, and we're constantly optimizing for predictability <laughs> effectively. Like oh my God. Every morning, my stomach hurts at like six o'clock, seven o'clock to see if the nanny is going to be late or call out. Like my stomach starts to like really have pain because then my whole day, like, you know, like today no, it's shot. coming late. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like I have to call every friend. Can you watch her? I have, I'm being on a podcast today or like, Hey, I have to go to fitting. Like she's come to fitting. Like it's happened. And you know, I'm yeah. very lucky very blessed that and thankful that like my clients are so you know happy and like just also because of COVID it made things transitional easier yeah. like they understand but like they start coming to my studio like my home studio and being wow. like and then it just was easy to you put her like you know in an area and I'm watching her if the nanny calls out while I'm doing it and it all works out you know but it's a big thing. And I'm always like, how do these moms do this? Like, I just and don't Nobody get it. talks about it. Nobody talks about it. Like, these are all the things that like, on top of what we're doing on a day, we're constantly managing. Right. And like, no, nobody talks about it, but like, yeah. it's, it's incredible. So it's, it's really awesome to see. And, and first of all, are you allowed to like, say who you're, are, do you, are there clients you're public about? If I was like, who are some really well-known clients of yours that you wanted to share? So some of some, most of them, like I do post them, but some of them, like they, I'm their personal shopper and stylist, but they, I've like, they don't want, they don't want people to know. Yeah. They want to be known as the visionary. You're a ghostwriter for their style. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Literally that's, that's the best way to put it. But, and it's fine. Like for me, honestly, right now it's a great conversation to have because I'm in transition. I like just had this like epiphany a couple months ago. And I think it's because I'm turning 40 in like a year and a half. And I'm just like, what am I doing with all this? Like, you know, I, I wanted to like, I want people to feel good. I want to do something, but what, what's the next chapter? What, a, what can I do? And I just see all this stuff going on in the world. And I'm like, I can't just ignore it all, you know, with, you know, things I believe in and care about. So, you know, now I'm just kind of all about like working with people who have a purpose, who, you know, are doing something to change this world or just have, they're doing more than just like, they have to look fabulous on a red carpet, you know, like for me, it's like really taking care of these people. And then hopefully like, starting something with them or just being a part of a movement and making a difference because again fashion is like it moves it's it's culture it can make a difference it can change something and recently like we did something like that for the glamour awards like we um i had a client she is a ceo but she's also on the board for glamour women of the year and um we you know collectively came up with a concept to kind of discuss what's going on with iran 
and have mm. it like shown on her clothing so people could mm. pay attention and you'd be surprised like people just don't pay attention what like she was interviewed on the red carpet with um the new york times and you know um they asked her oh really this is going on and i'm recording this and i'm like you work for the new york times or like <laughs> I, my mind like literally left my body yeah. came back and the best part of it is like i was telling you know my mom and she was like well maybe she works for the style section i'm like mama even if you work for the style section like you should hopefully read the times. paper yeah <laughs> you at least like, follow their twitter like you should know yeah, you, should you should know, know. but even with like social media, like a lot of people keep messaging me like, why are you talking about this hair thing? Like what's going on with this hair cutting thing or what's going on with the hijab thing? Like, it's just like, they just see pictures or like read a word. So I'm trying to like figure out how I can use all this to like educate the next generation. I don't want to say like, I'm going to be a leader educating, but like we use the sources that I'm already using and try to hopefully use it to benefit, you know, the next who's watching. Cause people are getting their news from Instagram. They are, or you yeah, know, yeah, Twitter sure. or Facebook. So yeah, no, I, I definitely see that. And like, it's really exciting to see what you're doing. Um, for those who want to follow your journey, Angie, where can people find you on the internet? Um, they can go to ngstyle.com or they can follow my Instagram at ngstyle. Amazing. And do you take, do you take new clients? All the time. I just like got some girl who's going to start, she just left, finished college and she's going to start her first career. So I'm excited. Who's your ideal client? Um, what, give me the scope before you let me go. I would love to, I just love to style men or women or anybody who has passion and wants to look good and be confident and just be able to make them feel good about themselves and get ready for their journey. Do they have to be rich? No, they don't. We do. I've done high school kids going to prom. Oh, that's amazing. That's good to know. Yeah. So that's wonderful. Um, and it's funny, I was just like thinking how recently this is a total tangent because I was about to close, but it's a total tangent. I had to kind of refine my own style in the last few years. So like I get it and I could see why somebody would need help with that. Um, yeah. I was like very, very cool. And then I started working with my co-founders and only my co-founders and they were a bunch of dudes and we just all started dressing the same. And then I had a bunch of kids and now I'm like, no, I need to be very cool again. So I've like kind of like gone through these shifts and these changes and it would be so helpful. It would have been so helpful throughout the journey to have somebody be like, actually you look good in that. Actually, that's your thing. Actually drop that. So I could see the value in it. And it's good to know that it's accessible for people, but also I would say pretty important service for people who are kind of on the rise and, you know, they're how they present themselves is critical in terms of how they land the message they're delivering, whether it's in pop culture, or like you said, the executive table. Um, and it's great to see women who understand diversity, who understand inclusivity, inclusivity, doing it. This was awesome. I, I like loved every part of this conversation. I knew nothing about styling and I know so much. It's just so fascinating to learn about this. So thank you so much, Angie. You're welcome. All right. Well, I guess I'll see you in New York someday. Yeah, I can't wait. And honestly, if you ever need with styling, the best thing for people to do if they don't want to get a stylist, you can start off by like doing a mood board and just kind of like pick things that you love and you see, and then just kind of also make sure you edit the closet and get basics first and then see who you inspire to look like and then, you know, do a drawing board. And you can oh, also call me for a consultation or email us. We'll do a consultation board for people too. Amazing. Okay, guys, you heard it here first. Definitely go to NG. Thank you so much. And it was awesome chatting. Thank you. Take care.